0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. My name is Matthew, the pastor here at Trinity Eastside, soon to be Emmanuel Anglican. I'm going to read to us this morning from Acts chapter 10, and then we'll pray and we'll jump right in. We have a lot to to talk about today. And then Peter began to speak to them, and them being Cornelius, who was a a Gentile, a Roman centurion and his household. Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him And does what is right, it is acceptable to him. And while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they invited him to stay for several days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus, we thank you for this word. Um, thank you for the very present, prescient relevance of this word for our church today. And we pray, God, that we would see it, that we would have ears to hear, and that we would have um, humility to, to trust you to lead us In this word, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are um, we are coming into the end of Easter. We have two more weeks and two Sundays. It'll be Pentecost Sunday. We will um, be meeting in the parking lot at nine and eleven, and we will be uh, live streaming the eleven o'clock. There will be no pre recorded service that week. So if you're not able to join us and you're you're joining us from home, you can still watch the service that will be happening. at 11 o'clock. Beginning next week, we're gonna begin our, what we're calling seven days of 24-hour prayer, 24-7 prayer. And we have a sign-up that came in your email this morning and that's been out uh, before now uh, for you to reserve a slot during that that period uh, to pray with us. And we'll send you a guide this um, this week on how you can join us. Everything is coming towards this this big moment on Pentecost where essentially uh, we will be birthed into this new church. We're very excited about it. And the reason we chose Pentecost is is not just because it was a somewhat realistic timeline, because I'm not sure it actually has proven to be that realistic, but because Uh, we wanted to have Emmanuel birthed on the day that God came to be with us in the Holy Spirit, for there to be forever this reminder that God with us is not just Jesus born in Bethlehem, but it's also the Spirit coming to make each one of us a home for God, a house, a temple for God, that God is with us right now. And what it means to be Emmanuel, therefore, is to be an extension of God's presence on the earth because we are, in Paul's words, temples of God on the earth, his hands and feet, For the sake of our neighbors. I said this last week, but uh, in the wake of the resurrection, this new story begins to break out uh, on the earth. Things begin to change immediately, and not just the songs they sang or the beliefs that they espoused, but the resurrection began to change and challenge the structures and the practices of the early Christians towards family, money, sexuality, class structures, politics. It was everything was shifting. It was the beginning of a new story that continues today that you and I are uh, a part of. And what we see is when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit immediately gets to work and begins to upset these systems, begins to upset these things that were in place beforehand. And in today's text, what we see, and actually throughout the book of Acts and all throughout the New Testament, that one of the primary fruits of the Holy Spirit's work in the first century church was the end of racism. That it was a, it was the, the the dawn of racial reconciliation and the church was was leading the charge under the power of the Holy Spirit and so we're going to talk about that today and what it means for us first though we have to get to know our main character in this who is Peter and we begin with this idea Peter had racist beliefs that's how we meet Peter in this text. He had racist beliefs. And I know that that's a hard start. Please don't turn me off yet. Please, uh, trust me, I I have a deep fondness and affection for Peter. In fact, a a real sense of uh, familiarity with him. He was a passionate guy. He was sincere. He was driven. He was clumsy. Uh, He was like a ready, shoot, aim kind of guy, which I I certainly can relate to. Uh, John tells us he was a slow runner, which is also something that I can relate to. Uh, But he's also the guy that preached the first sermon of the church. He's also the only one who was willing to get out of the boat and walk to Jesus on the water. He was such a tough and humble guy that he refused to even be crucified right side up, but opted instead to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to die in the exact same manner as his Lord. Um, He was an incredible person, a person that Jesus said was the rock upon which you would build the church. We are all here today because because of this man. And yet, Peter was, like most people in his time and place, he was a Jewish supremacist. He he believed that the Jewish race was superior in every way, that they were the chosen and elected people of God, and that put them in a place of superiority versus their neighbors around them, namely the Gentiles, which is just a, a word that means uh, the nations or people from other Other nations. We know in the book of Galatians, for example, one of the earliest books in the New Testament, Paul writes about an encounter he has with Peter where he has to publicly confront him over Peter's obvious racial bigotry that was harming the church at that time and excluding non Jewish members from church activities. And Peter was trained in this worldview. It was was funded by a misreading of the Old Testament and what it meant to be the elect people of God. This idea of election is still part of the church and it is still um, misappropriated to mean that people who are in versus the people who are out. To be the elect people or the chosen people of God in the Old Testament was not a way of saying these people are in and these people are out, but it was a way of saying these people have the vocation of going to these people and bringing everyone to Yahweh. The Jewish people weren't meant to hoard the experience of Yahweh to them for themselves, they were actually called, their vocation was to be chosen in order to bring all the nations, all people to Yahweh. But this was all backwards by the time Peter is on the scene. And like most people in his day and age, um, he naturally believed that Jewish supremacy meant uh, that the people who were not Jewish were below him, uh, they were unclean. In fact, he even begins with these uh, with this word when he comes to Cornelius's house in, in Acts chapter 10 28 he says, "You yourselves know that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean now the way that God showed him this is an incredible story it begins at the the front of Acts chapter 10. Peter is. Um, On the roof, he's he's waiting for lunch. Apparently someone's making him a sandwich downstairs. He begins to pray. And as he prays, he goes into a trance. And as he's in the trance, he sees a vision. A sheet comes down from heaven, held at the corners. The sheet is full of all these animals that the Jewish ceremonial laws prohibited them from eating, saying that these animals were unclean. But the voice from heaven speaks to Peter, rise, kill, eat. And Peter says, no, I will not eat these dirty foods. I'm a good Jew. I follow the rules. This vision happens three times to Peter, which you may know if may have noted this, but like three is a pretty special number for Peter. He denies Jesus three times. In John 21, three times he's reinstated in his calling to be the the shepherd of the sheep, the leader of Christ's church. And then here again, three different times God has to give this message to Peter before he gets it. I'm sure the third time he must have smiled. Oh, this is Jesus, he says to himself. Peter is learning a lesson from God about the way that God views people from different ethnic backgrounds, that God views them differently than the way Peter was trained to think. And I don't think, I just want to say, did Peter have racist beliefs? Yes. Is Peter like particularly bad in this? I don't think so. I think that if anything, Peter is um, essentially generic in this. I actually think that all of us have been impacted by the racial past that we've inherited And the assumptions that we grew up around and all of us, no matter matter how how open-minded maybe our background is, all of us have work to do. A lot of us have grown a lot, but there will always be more ground to take in understanding the racial assumptions that we grew up around. And part of what the Holy Spirit's work in our life is, is to wake us up to these things, to help us see these things differently. In his book, Democracy in Black, the professor, Eddie Gloud he writes, everyone possesses racial habits, often without even realizing it. Habits in general, they predispose us to see our world in particular ways. And we often consider these things helpful. Not only do these habits shape how we interact with people of different racial backgrounds, but they guide how we think about and value groups collectively. And I just want to say like, this is the water everyone I know is swimming in. It doesn't even, whether your skin is white, black, brown, all of us inherit racial assumptions. Some of these are very toxic and some of these are very damaging to the social fabric and to individuals. Uh, Rich Velotis in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, which uh, everyone at Trinity, Jenny, myself, people on the West Side, we're all, we're all loving this book right now. Um, he asks a series of questions to help us begin to discern what are the racial assumptions or maybe even the racist assumptions that are present in my own heart. He just asks a series of questions. I'll just put them on the screen and we'll move on. Is there a particular people, ethnicity, or race that you don't trust? Why? Is there a particular people, ethnicity, or race that you or your child could not marry? Why? What types of people cause you to cross the street if you're walking alone? Why? what if anything happens inside of you when you see an interracial couple why when was the last time you visited the residence of someone from a different culture or race or invited the person to your residence and then finally he asks what type of person would you most trust to invest or steward your money why there's more questions that we can ask like that but they're just like they're just ways of again trying to figure out like Are there things going on under the surface of me that I'm not even aware of, but they are actually a filter through which I am seeing the world around me? Racial reconciliation is one of the ways God begins to to unite people. This is one of the things that Paul hits on again and again. And Jesus, in his own ministry, models this. In Jesus' ministry and in the coming of the Holy Spirit, there was a breaking down of dividing walls. It, was, it happened between the genders, it happened between the classes, it happened between the nations. This is why Paul says, in Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, that's class structures toppling, neither Jew nor Gentile, that's race structures toppling. God comes and flattens all of it in a single stroke and makes us into one family. And Peter is learning this right now in Acts 10. The second point we see in this is that God led Peter through prayer into an unfamiliar context, I don't think that it, it, I I think it needs to be pointed out that this happened to Peter because he was praying. And I, it's not that it, it couldn't have happened outside of that, but the context in which God grabbed Peter's heart and changed him was because Peter was choosing to pray. Um, prayer is i think the real deep foundational work of racial reconciliation and if we're not praying about these things we can post all we want we can we can tweet all we want we can we can protest all we want but prayer is actually energizing the power of god to to be for us it's like it's like it's like a, it's like the wind that opens the sail that moves a thing along You and I um, today, regardless of where you land on this, whether or not you think this doesn't get nearly enough attention in our country or it gets way too much attention, um, the reality is that most of us take those feelings and we take them to social media. We take them to barbecues, but we don't take them to prayer. We're not praying about these things. And I would just say to you, like, if you, if you care about this and you're not praying about it, then you don't care about it the way that God does. He wants to activate your heart through prayer. And you and I, when we do that, we're not even like living in the way that our forebears lived. Uh, for, I, I came across this quote a while ago, but I love it. Coretta Scott King, of course, the, the, the wife of Dr. Martin Luther King, she writes, um, prayer was the wellspring of strength and inspiration during the civil rights movement. Through the movement, we prayed for greater human understanding. We prayed for the safety of our compatriots in the freedom struggle. We prayed for victory in our nonviolent protests, for brotherhood and sisterhood among people of all races, for reconciliation and the fulfillment of the beloved community. That should be like just something that you and I are praying through that list right there uh, weekly, daily daily. This is how we actually will begin to align our heart with God's heart. If we think that we know what God thinks about this, but we're never talking with God about these things, we can't say that we know that. It was through prayer. Thirdly, Peter discovered that God, when he got there, was already working. God was already speaking. He's speaking to Cornelius. Cornelius has a vision. He sends some Gentiles. They go and find Peter at this house where he's having this crazy dream, trance thing with the sheet. They say, hey, our master, who's also a Gentile, says that you need to come. Would you please come to his house? He wants to hear God says, you have a message for us. God's doing this whole thing. He's orchestrating the whole thing. He's setting up Cornelius and his family. He's setting up Peter to come and be the messenger. When Peter comes, he begins to preach. He gets into the gospel and it says, while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit falls. It's like God's running the entire show. Peter is not the one that's holding this all together. Peter probably didn't even need to be there. But if Peter hadn't had an open heart, Uh, an open ear to what God was doing, Peter would have missed this. Peter could have missed this incredible moment when God um, brings the gospel to the nations. And God wanted to use Peter. I just want to say, God wants to use you and me in these things. He wants to lead us into these places where we will see significant, powerful fruit. But we can just ignore it. We can stay shut up. Um, One of the things that... uh, Rich also outlines in his book, is what he calls incarnational listening, which I thought was really helpful because basically this is how you and I begin to have our mind and our hearts formed in new directions. So we're praying about these things, we're following God's leading, but how do I actually begin to put myself in the skin of another person, into the experiences of another person? And Rich just gives three, three main uh, points. One, he says, we have to, first of all, we have to leave our world. Have to be willing to let go of what's familiar, take the risk, and step out. Second, enter into someone else's world. That's what incarnation is. Practice active, humble, curious, generous listening, and then finally, allow yourself to be formed by others. Open up to their worldviews while holding on to yourself. I think that this is for me. This has been the 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 work of the last twelve months for me. Is 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 reading things I would never read before and having conversations I've never had before and letting someone else's experience come as powerful and sometimes more powerful in describing the reality of our lived experience as as my own. And um, it's not like always easy work, but this is actually how we begin to experience, oh, God's doing something there. God's already been there. He's already present. Um, And then finally, the last thing I'll say is this. And I already hinted at this, but the first miracle of the church's birth was racial reconciliation. It was the first thing. Uh, Acts chapter 2, which we're going to look at in a couple weeks on Pentecost, is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that happens at the coming of the Holy Spirit is the undoing of the Tower of Babel. Babel is that sort of story from, from early on in Genesis where people are trying to build a giant sort of temple to God and get to the top and be as powerful and great as God. And God scatters them and they, come, they, they all get different languages and they become their own people groups. And it's the, it's the division of the nations. And In Acts chapter two, the spirit falls and suddenly everyone's hearing the same language. Babel is undone. The first thing the spirit does is bring about racial reconciliation. In fact, one could argue that the primary fruit of the gospel is not going to heaven when you and I die, but it's the miraculous new family that's been created out of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Reconciliation, this is something that Jenny shared in our membership class um, a couple weeks ago, but also comes from Rich's book. Reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process that involves forgiveness, repentance, and justice I think those three things are so important. There's forgiveness and repentance, and that can be both personal and also structural, corporate, communal, communal repentance, communal forgiveness, and then justice that restores broken relationships and broken systems to reflect God's original intention for creation, um, and flourishing. Esau McCaulley in his book "Reading While Black," which I couldn't recommend highly enough. I I love. Esau. I'm so grateful to be in a diocese with him. Um, He writes, God's vision for his people is not the elimination of ethnicity to form a colorblind uniformity of sanctified blandness. (laughs) Instead, God sees the creation of a community of different cultures united by faith in his son as a manifestation of the expansive nature of his grace. This expansiveness is unified or I'm sorry, is unfulfilled unless the differences are seen and celebrated, not as an end unto themselves, but as a particular manifestation of the power of the Spirit to bring forth the same holiness among different peoples and cultures for the glory of God. So God's eschatological vision, his, like, his end game, is reconciliation. And if you read the book of Revelation, you read the vision that John has of the new heavens and the new earth, what he sees is not uniformity, but reconciled diversity. People from every tongue and tribe and nation, different dresses, different languages, singing in their own language, coming together and worshiping one king and ruler over all, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is God's heart. And so Here at Emmanuel, as we continue to give ourselves to this work, to give ourselves to to shared lament, to open our ears and to be inquisitive and curious, what we believe we're doing is we are leaning into what God's big dream is for humanity. That from the very beginning, God has had one thing in mind, and that is to unite us together in one family. And that is the work that we have before us. A lot of folks in the church today tend to prioritize the things God's doing on the earth. And so in one sort of camp of the church, one tribe, you might say like the most important thing that God is doing is saving souls. And then maybe below that is discipling Christians. And then way, 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 way down the line, you have things like caring for our neighbors or um, thinking about racial justice, feeding the poor, uh, maybe even conserving the earth. And that's probably not really true for our church. You know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not dumb. Um, we just tend to flip it. We would say, oh, most important thing God is doing right now, racial reconciliation, feeding the poor, material justice. And then way down the line, saving souls, preaching the gospel, being evangelistic. And what, what we see here in Acts chapter 10 is God says, no, these things happen in tandem. They are just as important as each other. They live next to one another. In fact, one leads to the other and vice versa. And if we're going to be faithful as the church, we have to understand that it's not just one or the other. And it's not even one before the other, but it's both in sync with one another that will lead us to the work that God is doing through the Holy Spirit. And so as we come up on the seven days of 24-hour prayer, one of the things that I want to invite you to pray with me during those hours, whatever hour you end up picking and praying with us, is for this, that God would make us a church in which not only do we experience racial healing, and God, please, let it be, but also a place in which the waters of baptism are overflowing with people who do not know Jesus today, because we think God's doing both works on the earth. Both are a sign of the kingdom to come. Both are a sign of the healing that God has promised for the whole world. And we want to be faithful to that in sync with the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so God, we do ask for you to do what only you can do. Thank you for the reminder from Cornelius' the story that you are the one who actually leads and guides the whole thing. You're the orchestrator. God, we just want to have ears that are open to your orchestration, to what you're doing. And we pray, Father, that Emmanuel would be a house of healing. God, we pray that we would be a place of generosity, and peace, and of justice. God be with us. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you. You are loved. See you soon.